don't get discouraged by that. Just have a realistic expectation and know that you may have to work your butt off before you really start making the money. But eventually, as the money starts coming in and you start systemizing it, you'll be able to put yourself and your business in a better position and live a more favorable lifestyle where you're not constantly working like an animal. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever and we don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Charles Seaman. How you doing, Charles? Great, Joe. Thanks a lot for having me on and let me say a big hello to the best ever listeners. Yeah, we're well, looking forward to our conversation and a little bit about Charles. He's a managing member and senior acquisitions manager of Three Oaks Management. He actively works to locate high-performing multifamily real estate deals throughout the Southeast, and he's got 92 units in Georgia. He's based in Charlotte, North Carolina. So with that being said, Charles, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yes, absolutely. So. Prior to June of last year, I lived in Brooklyn, New York, and I had the, the fortune of working for a commercial real estate investor for 14 years. During that time, I was able to learn a lot from him. I helped him go from acquisition to 
negotiating, leasing properties up, managing them. So I still seem to pick up a lot of good skills that have served me well in the multifamily syndication business. And I was there for 14 years. I hadn't really done any investing in my own. I dabbled in syndication for a little bit, but decided that it wasn't really for me. And I said, you know what? I like these larger commercial and multifamily deals better. So I said, how can I get into them? The one difference was the guy that I worked for had his own capital supply, whereas I didn't. So I knew that I had the skill and the expertise. I just didn't have the capital. And that's what really turned me on to syndication. And for all the best ever listeners out there, as I was just joking around with Joe before we started, it was Joe's influence that really exposed me to syndication for the first time in my life. So I met Charles in 2014, probably, maybe 2013, somewhere around there, when I was living in New York City and I did a class once a month or something on investing and he attended. It was probably you and maybe, what, three other people or so? <laughs> yeah, it's probably between that on the high side, three on the low side, but it was a nice little group that you had. Yeah, but you were reliably consistent with attending. You were one of the people who always attended and you now own 92 units in Georgia. Tell us about that. Sure. So it was a two-year process to get to that point. I started really learning about syndication and taking action with it in 2017. And between that point and the 92-unit deal, I looked at probably somewhere between 150 and 200 deals. And there was a lot of brokers that were involved, a lot of underwriting, a lot of hours. And ultimately, what it came down to were really helped. There were a few things that I would say that really helped me get to that point. One is focus. And I think the problem that a lot of people have is that they don't have focus. And I was guilty of that too when I started in this business because I was looking at properties in all different areas. And instead of really having a target area, one month I looked at a property in Ohio, another one I looked at a property in Indiana, and another one in Kentucky, twice in Kentucky actually. But the challenge with that is by not having focus, you're constantly spreading yourself a little too thin, especially as you're starting out. So last year, actually I guess 2018 now, around Thanksgiving time, my partners and I had decided to choose a target area, and that helped give us a little bit of focus and also to really hone in on the types of properties that we were looking to buy. So gaining focus and clarity helped a lot, and that was a major step. Another thing along the way that was really helpful was building good relationships. And again, that was something that I probably hadn't done as much of at the beginning. Initially, a few months after I started looking for multifamily deals to syndicate, I found a decent one in Ohio, but the only challenge was I didn't have a sponsor. And for anybody listening that's not familiar with that term, a sponsor or a key principal is somebody that's going to sign on the mortgage for you, which when you're taking out a mortgage on a seven or eight figure asset, the lender wants to make sure that they're giving it to somebody that has the net worth and the track record to back that up. So it was a case of where I found a deal, but didn't really have any relationships with people in that class that would that sign on the loan for me. And it's not the type of thing that you're going to call somebody up out of the blue and say, hey, Mr. Sponsor, would you sign on this seven-figure loan for me? Because I tried that. <laughs> and, and it doesn't work because nobody's going to lend you their professional track record and their reputation without first knowing who you are and having a relationship. So from that point, I went out and I built relationships with sponsors. And now my partners and I have a couple that we have really good relationships with. So it's helped us a lot. It actually tied into how we got our first deal. So we'll get into that in just a minute. The other thing in terms of relationships and networking in this business is your investors. As much time as you spend finding deals, you need to spend an equal or greater amount of time finding investors. So between those things, that's really what helped me get to the first deal. And then the 
the relationship with one of the sponsors we had, actually the one that sponsored that 92 deal for us, he also brought the deal to us. What happened is he knew that we were actively looking for deals, and we had looked at a few with him. We submitted offers on them, and for one reason or another, we didn't get accepted. Either somebody else had a higher offer, or for any number of different reasons. So we had looked at a few deals over the course of a couple of months, maybe even a year with him. He knew we were actively looking, and he came across this 92-minute deal in Stone Mountain, Georgia, which is right outside of Atlanta. And he's very familiar with that area because his primary territory is the Atlanta market. And he wasn't really looking for it himself because he's doing two and three and 400 deals. So 92-minute ones, as big as it may sound to somebody who hasn't done a deal, it is on the smaller side when you get more experienced. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he thought of us, and he sent it over to us and said, listen, do you guys want to take a crack at it? So we looked at the numbers, we went through the underwriting and everything checked out. So we said, okay, well, gave us the green light and lo and behold, he found the deal, brought it to us and actually wound up sponsoring it. So it was a really good relationship that helped us out a lot. How do you structure that from an ownership standpoint on the general partnership side with a sponsor like that? Sure. When you have a sponsor, and I've heard of sponsors taking anywhere from 10% to 50% of the GP, really depending on Two things. One, their own personal preference, and two, how much you're really expecting them to do. So if all you're looking for them to do is just really sign on the loan docs, then some may go as low as 10 or 15%. In our case, our sponsor took 35%, but he did do a good amount for us. He helped us out from one bringing us the deal and the second was signing on it. And he also owns his own property management company, which is based in the Atlanta market. So we actually wound up hiring them. So he was very helpful to us, and he was a great partner in that, so we're glad to have given him that 35% of the GP. Oh, absolutely. Found the deal, sent it to you all, signing on the loan, and has a management company that's overseeing it. Worth every percentage point, that's for sure. Very fair for you all as well as for him. Yes, I would agree with that. And that Ohio property, where was it in Ohio? So that one was in Northwood, Ohio, which is right outside of Toledo. And if I remember correctly, I think it was a 96-unit deal. I know that for a while you were dabbling in the Ohio market. Are you still over there too? I live in Cincinnati, so that's what I was wondering. So when you had that deal identified, tell us how those conversations went when you spoke to potential sponsors who ended up not moving forward with you. So the first thing I did with them was simply introduce myself just from having a background working for commercial investor for 14 years, I said, you know, nobody's going to really do anything like that for you unless they know who you are. So I said, let me just start casually, build some rapport with them. And then after we lighten the mood a little bit, then I would say, listen, I have this deal. Is it something you might be interested in? So I sent it over to two or three people that actually expressed some interest, but either they didn't wind up getting back to me or they only politely, they had no interest, which in retrospect, I don't blame them because If I was in the position to sign for somebody and be a key principal on their loan, I wouldn't want to do that either unless I was confident that they could actually perform. The last thing you want to do is lend your professional reputation to somebody that you worked very hard to build and then realize that you didn't do due diligence and they went out there and did a poor job and ruined it for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. How did you find the people that you were reaching out to? None of them said yes, but I just want to know what your approach was. I actually got them through referrals. I got them through SEC attorneys, and I got them through other people that I met at different real estate networking events. So I probably came up with maybe five or six of them initially, and there were two or three that expressed mild interest. 
And then from there, ultimately, none of them mind is doing it, but I said it was a good teaching for me. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's an interesting lead generation for co-sponsors or people signing on loans, SEC attorneys. Very logical. I don't know if I've heard of that. Maybe. I don't know, but it makes a lot of sense. Now, they didn't say yes, but my follow-up question is, have there been any sort of business transactions or any other business or anything evolve as a result of those conversations? There actually have. So one of the particular people that didn't wind up doing anything on that deal is one of the sponsors that we have a really good relationship with nowadays. And generally speaking, he has enough trust in myself and my partners that if we find a deal, you know, obviously he's going to do his own due diligence and vet it anyway, but he would usually be willing to sponsor just about anything we bring because he knows that we really vet it pretty good. And that was from a SEC attorney recommendation? Yes, correct. That's pretty cool. I hadn't thought about that. It's uh, low-hanging fruit. So the 92 unit, how long have you owned it? This one we owned since September 5th, so a little over four months. What's the business plan? Business plan is a two- to five-year hold. We were pretty fortunate that it was 98% occupied from the time we acquired it. So it was already a cash-flowing property. And we're not looking to go in there and do any significant value it, but the, the biggest value it is really through operational efficiencies. And a large part of what we're doing is just implementing stricter collecting procedures and having more available management. The seller had part-time management. They had a manager in the office about maybe 15 to 20 hours a week. We have a full-time person there 40 hours a week, so that way it gives tenants a different impression. One, it lets them know that somebody's available if they have a concern. And two, it's also somebody there on the property to oversee it and have a set of eyes and ears on the property regularly. And another thing we did is just enforce stricter collection procedures. So the previous owner was very lax with collections. A lot of the tenants paid, but whether they paid by the third of the month or the 28th of the month didn't seem to make much difference. So the first month we went in there, we had to file 19 eviction warrants, which was a pretty hefty amount on a 92-unit property. But what we did is we re-educated the tenants to let them know, listen, we expect you to pay by the 5th. If you don't pay by the 5th, you're going to have a late fee. And if you don't pay by the 10th, we're going to file an eviction warrant. So by the second month in October, that went down. We were able to drop it to seven eviction warrants. Of those 19, only six of them actually wound up being evicted. Most of them caught up. And lo and behold, by December, we were down to eviction warrants. So little by little, it's going in the right direction. The rent is being paid in a more timely fashion, which is good. And we were also able to increase market rents in October. So for anybody listening, you can't go in there and just raise rents on existing leases. But for people that go in there and move in as new tenants, you can start them at a higher rate. And for people renewing their leases, you can do the same thing. So we realized that the rents were undervalued in comparison to the submarket. So we implemented a $70 increase across the various unit types on October 1st. From a collection standpoint, what are some things you've learned that have helped you with that process? The biggest thing I would say from a collection standpoint is just being strict. You can't be too lax with collections because if you give somebody an inch, they'll take a foot. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that's just human nature. So if the tenants have a clear expectation that, listen, guys, we expect you to pay by the fifth. And if not, you're going to have an extra $50, $75 fee. It's amazing how many of them pay, especially when you have a C-class asset where a lot of them don't have that 50 or 75 dollars to pay. Okay. Based on what you've seen so far in the four months, what's been the biggest challenge? 
You know, and I have to say, we've been pretty fortunate. I mean, knock on wood, but it's been pretty smooth so far, so I can't complain. <laughs> there's been a challenge. There's been something that's been unexpected or it's like, oh, really? There's got to be something. You know, there. the biggest challenge was actually prior to closing. That was raising capital. Okay. And a lot of people have told us that it's harder than you think it is. And it's one of those things that you don't realize until you actually get in the driver's seat and do it. So one of the things we thought, my partners and I wrongly assumed that just because we know a network of people that have money, that we'd be able to easily go out there and raise money. And we jokingly said amongst ourselves, it was a very humbling experience, <laughs> which it was, but it also taught us that we had to be more diligent. We wound up completing the raise, but it did take a lot more effort and a lot more diligence than we thought. There was certain instances where we felt like, you know what, we would send our offering brochure to different people that would be potential investors, and they tell us, okay, I'll take a look at it. But the obvious scenario is that it's not as important to them as it is to us. Mm-hmm. So you really have to follow up and really be diligent. So what we've done since then is we made sure to make an effort to go out there and start expanding our network and also increasing our investor database. So that way, we're constantly cultivating investors as opposed to just really contacting them cold when we have a deal. What are a couple effective ways that you found to identify new investors? The biggest way that we're actually doing it is on social media at this point. So my partner, Adam, is a lot more video friendly than I am. So he posts videos on Instagram and Facebook and probably YouTube, I'd say, at least every day, if not more than once a day, a lot of times. Myself, I actually been doing it on bigger pockets. I use LinkedIn a bit, but I'm still kind of old fashioned, so I do everything through articles and written communication. I haven't quite gotten in touch with the modern times and started doing a ton of videos. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of my stuff on bigger pockets, that's where I've been finding a lot of success personally. And one of the things I've done is I've been very active in the multifamily forum. So what I do is generally, if I see something that I can provide value to, I do. So a lot of times people that post in those forums are relatively new. And what I'll do is I'll usually answer their questions and give them some insight. I do it for two reasons. One, because I genuinely enjoy that and I do like helping people. And two, it usually works out well because what happens is people that are more experienced and oftentimes passive investors will see that, and then they'll come to me and contact me and say, listen, I saw you comment on such and such as post. I'm a passive investor. Would you be interested in talking? Mm-hmm. And then from there, it opens up the dialogue, and we can start communicating and building a relationship. So that way, when we have future deals, we're able to present them with those deals. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Be persistent. Don't quit. Oftentimes, and it's very cliche, people are right around the corner from success, and they don't realize it. And when I say, especially in syndication, there's a lot of money, but there's a lot of work involved. And there's got to be a lot of work before you see a lot of money. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I say, don't get discouraged by that. Just have a realistic expectation and know that you may have to work your butt off before you really start making the money. But eventually, as the money starts coming in and you start systemizing it, you'll be able to put yourself and your business in a better position and live a more favorable lifestyle where you're not constantly working like an animal. A book that addresses that is Three Feet from Gold. I love that book. I highly recommend that everyone reads it. Have you read that one, Three Feet from Gold? I haven't, but I'm going to have to check it out. That's a good suggestion. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows, 
built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you serious about taking the first step in the gateway to financial freedom? Then join Jake and Gino on a four-week course that will teach you how to become a multifamily real estate investor. Go to jakeandgino.com. That's J-A-K-E-A-N-D-G-I-N-O.com. All right, Charles, what's the best ever book you have read recently? Best ever book I've read? I'm going to give you two, actually. So one's a pretty common one that's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've always been a big fan of Kiyosaki, and I think he has a gift for taking complex things and putting them in layman's terms. And the second one I'm going to say is actually not a real estate or finance book, but it's How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And that's my favorite book of all time. I think it has a lot of common sense principles that need to be reinforced on a regular basis and people need to implement in their everyday lives. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? The biggest mistake that I made was assuming that people I knew with money would want to participate and invest in our deals. So I didn't do as good of a job as finding investors as I should have, which is why I learned that mistake the hard way that you need to always be actively marketing for investors. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? They can follow me on social media. So probably the best way to get me is actually on Bigger Pockets, but they could also reach me on LinkedIn and they can search me by name on either one of those, Charles Seaman, S-E-A-M-A-N. Or they can also check out the website, threeoaksmanagement.com. That's the number three oaks, O-A-K-S, M-G-M-T.com. Charles, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for talking about your 92-unit deal, the challenges you had prior to that, what you learned from it, getting your co-sponsors or really the people signing on the loan in place first, having the SEC attorneys provide you with leads, and then ultimately partnering up on the next one, the 92 unit that you found via one of your connections and partnerships. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. Talk to you again soon. Joe, thank you very much for having me and thank you very much to the best ever listeners.